um, I will be reading from the 2011 NIV. So Colossians 3, verses 1 to 11. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming." You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge and in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, Barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Amen, and may God bless that reading of his word. Well, just before we get into the message this evening, I just want to share with you, many of us met Isabel, the 80-year-old who Pastor Alvin helped uh, last week, and so she came along to church as a result. Well, Isabel, unfortunately, has had a bit of a fall, uh, so she was taken to hospital, so she couldn't be with us last night. She was going to come to the uh, LACE event, and she can't be with us tonight either. So please be praying for Isabel, and certainly uh, pray for those who've made contact with her. We've got a number of our ladies who've been in contact with her already and her flowers and stuff like that so she's feeling very loved but um, we just want to pray for Isabel too because I know Elena and I had a great chat to her and uh, it's just great to see this lady who wants to engage with the church and uh, we gave her a bible and everything and uh, she's just so excited about being part of us and she's only been here one night so um, let's be praying for her that's some of the stuff that we're talking about you know we're talking about having an impact upon our community and, and that's where we're going with this series and it's our desire, Pastor, uh, Pastor Daryl, Pastor Dazzle, wasn't it? And myself, who have this desire. Is he still here? Oh, I can say that. He can't even hear this. He's not even at home yet. So, yeah, he, he made a big slip up this morning, hey? So, it's Pastor Dazzle it is. Just remember that. And um, you didn't hear it from me, okay? You heard it this morning because he said it. But our desire is that you will engage with what we are bringing out of scriptures and, and what we're teaching from these words and that you will have an impact upon your frontline ministries, wherever it is, whatever you're doing. So we're going to continue our series on fruitfulness on the front line. And we've covered a fair amount in this series so far. and We've issued challenges um, which we haven't done much before in, in, in the history of my time here anyway, um, preaching. And tonight, uh, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to recap on everything because we did that last week, but I do want to ask about this one. Uh, I've already heard back from a number of people about what they've done with their $5, and, and that's really exciting. So has someone spent 5 bucks on someone in their workplace or on their front line at university, school, whatever, and would like to share the impact that that had? If you've already told me, that's okay, you can repeat that. We've got one up the back. Bless you, brother. You were first off the rank last week too. Uh, don't know what's going to happen just yet. Um, the guy I work with told me about a particular hot chocolate that I had given him one time that he really loved, and so I bought him a box of it, but it hasn't arrived yet. He doesn't know I bought it. 
Cool. That's good still. That's good. So that's awesome. So you love that. And if you didn't hear, hot chocolate, it's on its way. And um, it would be interesting to hear what he says. Yep, that'll have an impact for sure. Anyone else? Yep. You did Secret Santa at school? Cool. And that had an impact on that person? That's awesome. That's awesome. Anyone else? I had more people talk to me during the week than I've actually had reflect on in the service here. We won't linger on it. We'll keep moving on. But take the opportunity here. We, we are people who don't like getting out of our comfort zone. And the reality is the call upon our lives is to do exactly that. We are supposed to be living counter-culturally. We're supposed to be pushing back against the darkness, the spiritual darkness that is out there and the moral decay. We're supposed to be salt and light in our communities. And doing these few little things are the things that will help us to become bold in our faith and to step out more and more and do more things. Just remember, one of the things we said was that grace doesn't have to, but it does. Love doesn't have to but it does. And this is the foundation of a lot of the stuff we're talking about. And, and Jesus didn't have to save us, but he did. And because he did, it should motivate us to serve him so much more. Let's pause and pray. Father God, I just thank you so much that you love me enough to send your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die for my sin. You did something I couldn't hope to do for myself. And I thank you that I now have a relationship with you. But tonight, Lord, I just pray that we'll have open hearts and open minds to hear what you have to say to us this evening. I pray, Lord, that this word will touch people's hearts and that it'll be transformational, that we will draw closer to you as a result. So, Lord, uh, have your way this evening and uh, speak to us, speak to each of us as we have need. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So tonight we're moving on to another M. This is M number four and it is moulding culture, not mouldy culture, as people kept saying I was saying, moulding culture. And so I'm not sure what you think about when you think about culture or um, if you believe at all that we can help shape culture um, by making things different. But in very, very simple terms, culture is really the way we do things around here. And that's wherever you are. That doesn't matter where you are. Um, so just think about that for a moment. Think about your family situations. Think about that as a culture, your home situation. And I can assure you, I've done it and seen Jeff's here. Jeff will reflect on this and say he's done it as well, where we've had to counsel couples who've been married and they're trying to satisfy their in-laws. You know, the guy's trying to satisfy his in-laws and meet their uh, expectations and she's trying to satisfy their in-laws, especially around Christmas time time there's all these expectations because they have these traditions this culture that their family does and so somehow they've got to meet in the family I just love saying hey you're a new family forget them just do your own thing you shouldn't do that I don't really say that but what we have to do is consider these cultures and we have to work with both of them hey and it's true in a family situation, it's true in a workplace, it's true in every team, every church, every connect group. I'm sure you've experienced it where you've gone to another church and you're like, wow, this is not what I was expecting. Even going to another Baptist church. We are all individual and we all have our own culture. We all have those things that are important, even in our connect groups. Whatever your front line is, there is a culture that is unique to that front line. And some of them are good, some of them are not so good, and some of them are downright destructive. 
but all of them can be changed. And when Jesus walked this earth, there were many different cultures, and many of them affirmed. He actually did affirm the Jews traveling to Jerusalem for all the festivals that they used to celebrate. He also spoke against some cultures. He spoke against that habit of the Pharisees taking the best seats in the synagogues or at the feasts. He also spoke against the fact that they prayed long prayers in the marketplaces or other areas where they could be seen. And there are also some cultural things which don't really matter. In Jesus' day, teachers sat and taught. We don't do that now. We stand up the front here. And realistically, it doesn't matter. As long as those being taught can see and hear, it's all okay. So that's something that doesn't really matter. But as I said, culture can be changed. I want you to think about the story of Mary and Martha. And this is one of those ones where we see Martha complaining to Jesus that Mary was unwilling to help her supply or produce the food that was required for the people that were there. And so culturally, we'd expect Jesus to say, go and help your sister prepare the meal because women were supposed to be doing that. But Jesus pushed back against that culture and Jesus affirmed Mary's choice to sit at his feet and to be taught. And as I say, keep in mind, this is a day where women were not permitted to learn at all. And so Jesus is pushing back against that and he's saying, no, this is the better choice. What Mary has decided to do is a good thing. And not only is Jesus saying it's good for her to learn, he's even saying it's okay for you to sit at the feet of a rabbi and do so. Because that's what Jesus was considered to be. You have no idea how countercultural that was in that day. The other thing I really love when it comes to pushing back against culture is when Jesus was resurrected. And when Jesus was resurrected, who were the first people to witness him resurrected? Women. What do we know about women given testimony in that day? They were not to be believed. In fact, if you were to go to court, two men could give an account. Two men could be witnesses, but women could not. They're unreliable. We all know that. Come on, you should throw stuff at me. But seriously, that's the way they were thought of in that day and age. They were not respected at all. They were not considered to be reliable people. And so Jesus' resurrection and him appearing to these women and these women being the ones who went to the disciples and said, Jesus Christ is risen, we have seen him, is again pushing back against the culture of the day. And Jesus wanted his followers to know the way women are being treated has to change. And what better way and have it recorded in this word for all of history, that it was women who first witnessed the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus chose to reveal himself to them, and they would tell the disciples. And we need to keep in mind, Jesus' values are not our values. But when we choose to follow him, our values need to change. And so, our values and beliefs shape our behaviour. We can see this in practical terms each and every day. It would be highly irregular for an environmentalist to purchase a blown 454 V8. It would be even more irregular if more than 50% of you knew or understood what I just said. But we would expect 
uh, an environmentalist to have um, a, a vehicle like a Prius or an EV or something more environmentally friendly than a thumping V8 that is going to guzzle a whole heap of fuel. They are shaped by their beliefs. And as believers, we are called to hold to God's value in the midst of whatever culture we find ourselves. We are called to be influencers for good, people who bring about cultural change. And when we look at the world we live in and how it seems to be more and more moving to greater spiritual darkness and moral decay, it's hard to believe that little old me can bring any change at all. I want you to think about Joseph. Was it any different for him in his day? Here is a young man, a teenager, who believed that God had a special calling upon his life. And then so many terrible things happened to him. And he trusted God all the way through that. And as a result, he ends up being the 2IC of Egypt. A man who faithfully followed God. It's an incredible story. What about Daniel and his exile to Babylon? He's taken to this nation where God is not worshipped at all and Daniel is incapable of going to the temple. He's incapable of worshipping God the way he should. But he elects to worship God anyway. And he does so to such an extent, he refuses to accept anything that the ruler says, which is counter to God's teaching, which calls him to not worship his God. It would have been very easy for him to submit and just do what he was told to do, but he refused to do that. He wanted to serve his God. And again, we see great and amazing things happen as a result. Same thing with Paul in Athens, Paul in Ephesus. He didn't compromise. He refused to submit to the authorities. And then there was that other guy, Jesus, in Roman-occupied Israel. All of these cases, all of these people submitted to God. And they allowed his value and his word to shape their character and behavior. And I wonder what we think when we read this line in Scripture and we pray this. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I keep coming back to the Lord's Prayer, I know that. But the kingdom of God is central in the message of Jesus. As Jesus proclaims the gospel, uh, he begins with this, Mark 1.15. Jesus says, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is, an, is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. The kingdom of God is at hand. And it is a kingdom which when we look at Scripture is an eternal kingdom. It's a kingdom that is in the past. It's a kingdom that is in the here and now. It's a kingdom that will be in the future. It was, it is, and it is to come. And when we pray, your kingdom come, what is it that we're asking? What is it we believe that Jesus should be doing? What is, is it we're petitioning him for? We're asking God to establish amongst his people a community where his will is perfectly adhered to, where it is perfectly done, here on earth, just as it's obeyed in heaven. It's a given that if this is what we truly desire, we'll be asking God to let it begin with me, to let it shape me. And then it's about each of you saying exactly the thing, allowing him to shape us as individuals to be those he wants us to be. And each of us should be willing to allow God's values, God's word to shape us, our character and our behavior. 
And this is what is contained in those two incredible commands that we've been given. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second one is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And this should be the primary shaper of our culture. It should become about a total commitment to God first and foremost and loving him. Each and every one of us needs to come to that point. And the second one is a total commitment to loving the people who are created in God's image. Every living human being, no exceptions. A commitment to love, a love that is seen by others. So we'll seek their best. So we'll seek to bless them. We'll pray that they'll flourish and succeed regardless of what they've done to us. And this is not something I've distorted from Scripture. This is what Jesus says and what God commands. Remember, we covered the story of the Good Samaritan. And one of the rulers, the teachers of the law, asked Jesus, what are the greatest commandments? And he said, this is what it is. And then the guy indicated that, well, who is my neighbor? Basically saying, well, I don't have any neighbors, so I'm living up to this standard. And then Jesus tells the story about the man who's injured by the wayside. The priest walks past and ignores him. The Levite walks past and ignores him. But then the enemy, the Samaritan, he's the one that ministers to him. And so we're to be like that Samaritan. The life we now live is the life that is no longer about me, it's about Jesus. I've been raised to new life in him and my new life is about thinking differently, living differently, building a different community, a community that is focused on the kingdom. It's a kingdom that will have no end. And we're called to have new minds, to think differently. And what we've heard read this evening is based on the premise that we've been united with Christ. It says, if then, in some translations, it says, since then. And that's linking back to what Paul has said previously. And it says, well, he's been talking about the resurrection of Jesus, the victory that Jesus had over death. And Paul wants to drive home the message that we who believe have been made alive together with Christ. And the foundation or basis of this new life is with Christ. It's mentioned three times just here. With Christ, with Christ, with Christ. It says here that I am to seek the things that are above, to set my mind on the things that are above. And in case there's any confusion, Paul clears it up for us. We are not to set thing, our minds on things that are on earth. He says that there. We are to be like-minded with him, with Jesus. And Paul tells us to not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of our mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And the expectation is that we will come under Jesus' lordship. Every thought, our aim and desire of our lives, our values, our hopes, our ambitions, all our efforts, it is literally all of me for all of him. The transformation begins in the mind, taking every thought captive for him. And I do it because I have new life in him. We are told when we follow Jesus, we are to put to death, therefore, what is earthly in us. And the therefore here is again pointing back to what Jesus has just said. If you are a follower, oh, sorry, what Paul has just said, if you are a follower raised with Christ, then you will set your mind on the things that are above. You will not follow 
or allow yourself to focus on those things of the earth or the world. And because of that, there'll be a need to kill off practices and not allow yourself to live in them, not even for a single moment. And this is not just about the biggest, grossest sins, but they're included. This is about anything which is counter to the high calling of God. It's anything that will draw you away from Christ. Not just the fire of lust, but the spark that starts that fire. Not just the physical act itself, but the thoughts that lead to them. Our new life is one that reflects Jesus, not just when people are watching, not just when people can see what we're doing, but one that reflects Jesus when I'm even on my own with my own thoughts. We must put anything to death that doesn't honour Jesus, even when I'm on my own. And we must put off anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk, dirty talk, any talk like that from our mouths. We should not lie to one another because we've put off our old self with all of its practices. They've got nothing to do with us anymore. And in all of this, we're also called to be a new community. It's a community which refuses to accept the values and demands of this world. There's no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. We become part of a community and new people whose identity in Christ unites them. That's why we're here tonight. No other reason. Our renewal comes from being in Christ. And once in Christ, the former divisions that have been present are stripped away. We've, Paul speaks here of there not being all these different things. He's really saying that the new humanity in Christ erases all barriers. Race, religious, cultural, social, they're all gone. They're all put to death. They're part of our old selves and they're not to be part of our lives anymore. The new humanity is commanded here to put away any us and them mentalities and to see that Jesus shatters all such notions. When we come to Jesus, the primary and only concern should be for other humans to find Christ, to come into the kingdom. If we ever bring in these definitions or create any situation that reflects that us and them mentality, we're opposing the very will of God. We're sinning and we're putting up barriers that he has broken down. And they're not barriers that should be in the church or the kingdom of God. We are a new creation. The old has passed away and it has never been about what we have to give up. We seem to think that the Christian life is so onerous, we've had to give up all of this stuff. But that's not it. It's about agreeing to exchange what I once was for what God calls me to be. And a new life is founded upon the absolute truth of a risen and exalted Lord, our Jesus Christ. And I choose to be obedient to him and his call. We are raised to new life with Christ, remade in his image, united with his church, a gathering of fellow believers. And I've taken off my old self and all of its practices and I've destroyed it. It is gone and I have put on my new self. And it is being renewed each and every day in the image of my creator. This life I live is not my own. I have been bought with a price and I choose to live for Jesus. It's not only what I do on Sunday, it's what I do every moment of each and every day. Why speak about all of this when we're talking about moulding culture? Because we can't hope to mould culture 
if we don't have the foundations correct. We can't do anything on our front lines if we don't understand what we have in Jesus Christ. He is the only security for this type of work. When I think about my life, it was only in the Lord Jesus Christ that I found acceptance. It was only in the Lord Jesus Christ I found forgiveness. It's only in Him I found unconditional love. It's only in Him I found a purpose for my life. It's only in Him I found value and fulfillment and hope and so many other things. And because I am recalled to reflect Jesus on my front line, remember the story of the salt and light, then I want to show these attributes to others. I want them to see Jesus in me. So how do we do this? How can we do it first and foremost in the church? I'm not sure if I've shared with you the church, the, the story of this lady who rocked up at a new church. And, and this lady just loved talking about people. She loved gossiping. And so she got a bit of juicy information on one of the congregational members and she went to another member and she said, hey, have you heard about... And I went, can you just stop there? Have you spoken to that person about what you're about to tell me? And she goes, no, but... There's no buts here. We don't do that here. And she was a bit taken aback and she went to another person. She said, hey, have you heard about this person? And she starts talking and the person said, hey, wait a minute. Have you spoken to them about that? Because we don't do that here. We don't talk about other people unless they're present. And, and we don't share gossip with people. We just don't do that here. That woman ended up leaving the church. But could you imagine if we had a culture like that? Could you imagine if we didn't accept any slander or gossip that people brought to us and just said, hey, you know what? We don't do that here. And we don't do that because that's one of the values of Jesus. That's what the church should be. How do we do it in difficult places? Can you imagine a place where all young women are taken and put into prostitution. Where these women, as teenagers, think they're too dirty, good for nothing, and basically getting everything they deserve. Prostitution, drugs, terrible situations. Could you imagine having an impact there? Well, I mean, what do you do? Who was at the Bloom meeting last night? One, two, keep your hands up. Just look around, see these people? They've got at least half a dozen stories that they can tell you about that exact situation. And this ministry, Bloom, which started with a very basic idea and is now transforming hundreds of lives in a couple of different countries. What do we do in our workplaces? I had a friend who was working in this business. The, the company that he worked with manufactured goods, multi-million dollar contracts, so it was big business. And he was responsible for some of this. And uh, they had this product that they'd produced, and this product worked quite well. Not 100%, it was quite well, and had a fault and so it would fail under certain circumstances. And he was aware of this and he came up with a solution to fix that. But the solution to fix the problem would mean that their profit margins were cut. 
And so the boss said, look, you can sign off on this without having to fix this issue and problem and we can freight these off and it's not going to be an issue. There's only going to be a few that this happens to and it's okay, we'll sort it out down the track. Just sign it off and get it done. This guy had made a decision that he wasn't going to do that and he said to his boss, I can't do that. It's, it's not right and as a Christian, I'm compromising my beliefs and I, I just can't do that. The boss threatened him, said he was going to sack him, said he's going to do all sorts of terrible things to him. And he just stood his ground. He said, well, if that's what it takes, I am willing to lose my job over this because I will not compromise what I believe to be right and true. Surprisingly, the boss didn't sack him. And the contract went through and the matters were fixed and everything like that. And my friend continued to work in that place. And you know what? That guy, that boss came to respect him greatly. And when my friend eventually resigned from that business, it was a good working relationship in the end, but when he eventually resigned from that business, guess who his greatest advocate was? It was that boss. Why was that boss his greatest advocate? Because he knew he was honest. He knew he was trustworthy. He knew he was dependable. He knew that he wouldn't let anything slip through which would compromise that business. He made a stand for Jesus because he believed that's what was right in that situation. And it had an impact, a cultural impact upon that community. And it transformed that place. Another guy, he, um, he was working for a company and they, they were making transformers actually. And uh, again, involved in big contracts. And um, he, they won this contract and it was a substantial contract and they were building these transformers. And, and during the build time, the price of copper went up substantially. For these guys, that meant that they were going to lose huge amounts of money. We're talking hundreds of thousands of dollars because of the original contract. So my friend contacted the company that they were building the transformers for and said, hey guys, the price of copper has gone up. That price that we gave you is no longer viable because of this situation which was unexpected. We want to renegotiate a price and, and uh, make it viable because otherwise we won't be able to supply you because we are losing too much money. And that company said, yes, we understand. We also buy copper wire. We're suffering from the same situation. So the price went up. Everyone was happy. This guy's boss was ecstatic because instead of losing money, they were actually making money again. And then when the copper price went down, my mate um, contacted the company and said, good news, the price has gone down. We can reduce the price of the transformers again. $2 million. Straight off the top. Do you think his boss was happy? Nah. And the boss approached him and had a chat to him and said, mate, we had this opportunity. He said, look, so we had a contract originally and these guys agreed to pay more. They didn't have to do that. He said, I think this is only the right thing to do. When the price comes down, I believe we should reduce the price for them. You know what happened? That company they were supplying no longer got quotes from anyone else. Because when he phoned and said, you know what, the copper price has come down again, we're going to reduce the price of these transformers. They said, excuse me? He said, no one's ever done that before. He said, well, it's the right thing to do. The price has come down. It's not costing us much anymore. We only elevated the price because of the extra cost. And so that company ordered everything they could from this other company because they thought that they were honest, that they were trustworthy, and that they'd always do the right thing by them. They never got a quote from anyone else. And the business just increased dramatically. Do you think that had an impact upon that business? And the answer is, of course it did. Sometimes we just have to be willing to step out and take a risk and an opportunity to stand for Jesus and do the right thing. 
I also had a friend, this is a tragic story. Um, a young man, he was only 19, and he came off his motorbike and died. A terrible, tragic accident. He, he slid across the road and just tapped the back of his head on a power pole, snapping his neck. It was just enough to kill him. And no one could understand why he had the accident. And it was only a couple of months later after we buried him, the motorbike shop phoned his father and said, we've left a part out of the rear wheel of that motorbike you brought in for a service. And we're concerned that it could be a risk, there could be a danger to someone coming off the bike. And this boy's father said, I've got to come down and see you. There's something I need to tell you. And so he went down and he spoke to them about the death of his son and the fact that it's now obvious that this part being left out of the motorbike is what killed him. What do you think the bike shop did? They went into panic mode because they expected to be sued. They expected to lose everything. And this man said, no, I don't believe you set out to kill my son. I want you to use this and make sure it never happens again. Put a practice in place so that all the parts are accounted for and this never happens again. And those guys were blown away. Why would you do this? And the father said, because I've been shown grace. I've been shown love. And as much as I want my son back, that's not going to happen. And I just want you guys to understand that grace and love as well. And I can tell you, the same motorbike shop serviced my motorbike. We got to witness to them many times. We got to talk to them because they all knew that we knew this young man. That could have been a very different situation. It could have been confrontational. It could have been damaging. But that father chose to make it a, take it as an opportunity. All of these examples are people who choose to live out the Christian life as difficult as it was. They wanted to show the grace and love of Jesus to those that they come in contact with. And we may never experience or encounter incidents like that in our workplaces. So what can we do? What, what does it take to help mould culture in our workplaces? Can I encourage you first and foremost to pray for your workmates, especially the ones that get under your skin, more than the others, in fact. You pray for those ones that really irritate you and pray for a breakthrough. Pray that God will give you opportunities to show grace and love into their lives. And I think I've shared with you the times that people have hammered me because I've been a Christian. And then when crisis comes, they're the ones who come and ask you to pray for them. And you have that opportunity at that time. In your neighbourhoods, stop and talk to those people you run into. Have a chat to them. Wave to those, as Pastor Darrell said this morning. Um, Pastor Darrell's neighbours love him too. Uh, we ran into one after church last week uh, in Aldi. And they said, oh, did Pastor Darrell release you? I said, Where is neighbour? He's a great bloke. So Darrell and Rhonda have an impact in their community and they're having more by inviting those people to come and have some time with them. Elena and I, when we were living on the Sunshine Coast, uh, our street used to have what they called driveway drinks. And we'd just walk out on a Friday afternoon, see where people were going. We'd all walk up and have a chat there. 
we can facilitate those things in our communities and just build bridges of friendship with everyone. We can invite friends out for coffee and really listen to what's going on in their life, try to understand what is happening for them. Don't be distracted, just be there for them. We can uh, ask those who service at the local grocery store or petrol station how their day is going, what we can do for them. Is there something we can be praying for to improve their day? We can host a family dinner for church. Judy, I'd love to hear from you. And I can tell you, Elena and I delight in the people that we have through our house. We're, we're down in numbers now. I think we only get 20 to 30 a week through our house, but we love it. It's just such a blessing to be able to spend time with people and connect with them. Um, new family in the church. Ask them over for a meal. Take them out for a meal after church. Decide to affirm and honour others. Look for people doing good things. And just send them a note, send them a letter and say, hey, I noticed you did this in the church. I noticed you picked up some rubbish. I noticed you did a spot of vacuuming. Just affirm people and say, I see that, I appreciate that. It's awesome. And do that in the workplace as well. Honour those people who may not be acknowledged and do little things that people don't see. So write that letter, card or email of appreciation to someone you see doing good work as well. Send a Christmas card or a letter of thanks to your local shopkeeper or service station attendee or someone down the road who does good work, um, a tradesman, a hairdresser, whatever. My wife's been going to the same hairdresser for what, 25 years? Yeah, we used to drive from Gladstone to here to go to the hairdresser. Pray for me. She still sees the same guy. Uh, he must be good. But... Uh, Send letters of encouragement and thanks to these people. Step up and apologise when you know you've done wrong. Don't leave someone else to take the blame. Step up and apologise. And it's amazing the impact that has when you say, you know what, I did that. I'm sorry. What can I do to make sure it doesn't happen again? Volunteer to help in whatever situation. The story I shared last week, Pastor Alvin helped a lady carry her bags home and she came to church on Sunday as a result and we're praying for her now because she had a fall. Isabel, how awesome's that? It does not take much. Volunteer to help and take some time to tell others the good news stories, what Jesus is doing in your life. When we talk about giving a testimony, it's about what God is doing in your life in the here and now. What's happening? Why do you worship him? Why do you follow him? What is different about your God to anyone else's God? Let's be on our front foot. Let's be doing these things. Let me pray. Father God, there's been extremes in what I've shared. And I thank you for Bloom Asia. I thank you for such an incredible ministry that started out so basic in teaching women to cake decorate, Lord. But they're having a huge impact in Cambodia and elsewhere in the world, Lord, where women are being brought out of prostitution, Lord. And great things are happening. Thank you so much that you laid that on someone's heart. And Lord, many of us here will never do a ministry like that. But Father, we can have an impact on our front lines, wherever we are, whatever we're doing, and we can have that impact for your glory. Father, give us the guts to step up for you. Give us a willingness to live for you in our everyday, not just on Sunday, not just at our connect groups, not just at the prayer meetings. We want to honour and glorify you in everyday life, Lord. And Lord, more than anything, I pray that you'll give us those opportunities to do little things which will have an impact in the culture that we face. And the Lord, it'll turn things around.
that people will see that those who serve you have no fear, that we worship a God who genuinely loves us and cares for us and wants the very best for us and also wants the best for them. I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.